You are listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast. With Rachel Adams, Managing Editor. Brought to you by Supply Side West, September 25th through the 29th. Hello and welcome to this Supply Side West edition of the Healthy Insider podcast. My name is Rachel Adams, a managing editor. Uh, today I have on the phone Justin Procknow, who is an attorney and shareholder at Greenberg Trorig LLP in Denver. Hi, Justin. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. I'm so glad that you could join us today on the podcast. Uh, Justin will be speaking during our contract manufacturing workshop at Supply Side West called Details Matter, Achieving a Successful Contract Manufacturing Partnership uh, on Friday, September 29th at 8.30 a.m. This workshop is underwritten by Sora Laboratories and Elite One Source Nutritional Services. Uh, Justin will be discussing business agreements when it comes to entering a partnership with the contract manufacturer. And today, we have the opportunity to get a sneak peek of his session. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. I think a great place to start our discussion today would be to look at, get some context around why these agreements are so important. So uh, Justin, can you explain some of the potential implications of entering a partnership with a contract manufacturer without an agreement? Sure, Rachel. And I've got actually a a great example from uh, someone I was just talking with uh, at the end of last week. But, you know, I've given a couple of presentations on this for uh, Natural Products Insider. I think we did a webinar a couple of years ago and written a few articles, and it still somewhat amazes me how much business is still being conducted on the basis of a handshake or a couple of emails uh, and, and maybe a, a purchase order um, because the days uh, of handshake agreements really should be over with the amount of uh, money at stake, and truthfully, with all of the different areas um, of of potential liability and responsibilities that you can really narrow down and address in a contract manufacturing agreement, um, and and probably starts with just a written agreement really helps set the stage and and kind of the parameters for the working relationship when you have the contract manufacturing agreement, you can go to it and say, okay, this is what we agreed to do. These are our obligations, and this is what we need to do to meet them, as well as looking at what your counterparts' um, obligations are. And I, I always tell people the, gr- the great time to do it is at the beginning when you're entering into the relationship with the other party because you're both looking forward to working together. Hopefully people are all pretty much on the same page. And, and that's the time to do it because when things fall apart or go awry, and you, of course, hope those things never happen, but they often do, um, it's too late to then say, okay, well, we should put that in writing. The time to do it is in the, quote, honeymoon uh, stage when everyone is happy with each other because that's the time when you can, can really narrow it down. And, you know, I think we'll probably talk about those things either today or certainly in my my talk, but... You know, things like uh, who's going to cover the cost of a recall, um, who is going to, um, 
well, the example I was talking about last week is I have uh, a client who had a had a dispute with their manufacturer. It was for, in the grand scheme of things, relatively small amount of money. Let's say around twenty thousand dollars. There's no contract manufacturing agreement in the United States. There's a a rule of law called the American Rule, which means that if you have a written agreement um, and you don't um, account for attorney's fees in the contract, or if you just have an oral agreement, you cannot get attorney's fees in any sort of dispute. So essentially, unless there's attorney's fees provided for by statute, you have to provide for it in a written agreement or you can't get attorney's fees. So this person who has let's say, a $20,000 dispute with their contract manufacturer. Since there's no written agreement, they don't have attorney's fees provided for in the litigation. They're going to have to pay an attorney to defend them to get that money. And I can tell you that it's going to be pretty hard to find an attorney who can do a case for less than $20,000. So they have to look at it and say, are we going to spend more money to pay an attorney to get less money out of it? And the answer is no. And so the fact that there's no attorney's fees is really a big impediment to them moving forward and and trying to get their money back. And if they had a written agreement where attorney's fees are appointed to the the winner of the case, they can proceed on that with the understanding that if they win it, the other side's going to pay for it. So that's just one example. But, um, you know, there are a lot of provisions that you can really narrow down and um, and make sure they're they're tight in the contract that you couldn't otherwise. Right, that is such a good example, and and like you said, it's just it's just one thing to look at going to this agreement, which is why I think it's so important that we're having this workshop at Supply Side West, and we're talking about it now, so we can get more in depth on on these on these all these individual pieces. Um, so on to the next question: um, a business agreement. I mean. As you touched on in, in the previous question, it should outline the responsibilities of each party. Um, can you explain how these responsibilities are established and whether there are reg- regulations to consider? Well, when we're talking about the contract manufacturing agreement, and, and I can tell you that I've represented companies on both sides of that um, kind of uh, relationship. I, I have certainly clients who are contract manufacturers, and I have a lot of clients that are, you know, own label or or private label of brand brand owners. Um, and so, obviously, you come into those agreements with some slightly different um, uh, goals and objectives. But overall, it's to make sure everyone understands the responsibility. So there are some general, um, you know, areas of the contract that I think we'll address next that you know are going to be in every contract, but. You know, the main topics where you really have to decide who's going to do what is how much um, is the uh, contract manufacturer going to be manufacturing. So, you know, kind of first the the quantity and and uh, what what the product is. So that's always an important part is kind of narrowing down what, what exactly is the contract manufacturer going to manufacture. Typically, that's an attachment to the agreement, you know, an exhibit that outlines the various products. Of course, cost is always a big one. And and that's probably, you know, one that that's simply a negotiation between the the brand owner and the contract manufacturer. Um and 
you know, what that comes down to almost always is uh, who who is this agreement more important to? I mean, because that's always going to dictate what the cost is going to be. If this is a large project that's going to bring in a lot of money, contract manufacturer is probably going to be willing to play with that price a little bit. If this is a small run um, and you know, that the contract manufacturer could replace with a bunch of other things. They're probably less willing to negotiate the price all that much. So as in any business arrangement or relationship, whoever has the power is the one who can kind of dictate, you know, some of those negotiations. So price is always a big negotiation. Um, time frame for getting it manufactured, and I would say this is a big component of manufacturing agreements, and if the time, you know, if the the date in which a company needs the product is an important part of the agreement, then that's something that really needs to be spelled out and put in there and that, look, if we don't get it by this date, we can go seek someone else to replace that product and you're going to compensate us for that. And again, whether a contract manufacturer is willing to do that depends a little bit on how big the project is and how important that is. Uh, to the bottom line, but certainly cost and uh, and time frame are big components. The uh, receipt and delivery, the acceptance of the product is, is another big uh, component. How many days are you going to get to review and and potentially either reject or accept the product? Um, that's a a topic for negotiation, and then. You know, more and more these days, a big component of a contract manufacturing agreement is to have a essentially a, a companion agreement, which would be a quality assurance agreement, which outlines what steps a manufacturer is going to do uh, to ensure that the products are being manufactured. And especially if we're talking about dietary supplements, you know, the FDA. Uh, does many inspections at the facilities of a private label owner where the manufacturing doesn't actually take place. And they come in, do an inspection, and they say, we want to see the batch records, we want to see the manufacturing records. And, of course, the product's not being manufactured there, so, so many of the private label owners don't have those type of documents on hand. And so oftentimes now the FDA will start off an investigation by saying, do you have a quality assurance agreement with your contract manufacturer? And if so, they want to see that because that generally outlines the obligations and what the contract manufacturer is doing to ensure that the product is being manufactured pursuant to GMPs. And oftentimes a company can produce that document instead of some of the other documentation to show what due diligence it has been conducting to make sure that products are being manufactured to GMPs. So those are probably, I would say again, um, you know, the amount of product, the pricing, and the timing for delivery and potential acceptance or rejection are probably three of the biggest kind of negotiations in the agreement. Uh, of course, price probably being the number one, but, but time frame um, and, and quantity of production being the others and making sure that there are provisions in there that if for some reason something happens with the contract manufacturer and they can't meet those obligations, that a company can go seek um, uh, help elsewhere to fulfill those orders so that it doesn't put a company uh, behind in, in uh, fulfilling uh, future orders. 
Wow, that's definitely a lot to consider. And that's just that's just some of the details, some of the, the bigger things. Um, so are there any other key components or maybe even things that maybe aren't so major but get overlooked? Yeah, and I would say they're actually, some of them may be as important, if not more. They're just typically not, you know, they're kind of standard in every agreement as opposed to being negotiated. Um, but to me, some of the more important um, components of agreements, um, and I would say uh, certainly compliance requirements, and I guess that goes hand-in-hand uh, hand with the, you know, the companion quality assurance agreement. If the parties haven't done a companion quality assurance agreement, then at least a, a representation by both parties that they're complying with the GMPs. Um, you want to have uh, something in there about recalls. Um, to me, recalls are becoming more and more of a, a common occurrence in the industry, and oftentimes it's no fault of the company itself. It's due to an ingredient supplier that provided um, an ingredient that um, initially tested no issues, and then when it went out, uh, one of their clients tested it and became positive, and then all of a sudden now that ingredient supplier is recalling all of the ingredients, and I've had that happen with uh, many clients where through no fault of their own, they're having to go through the recall process. So, you know, having a provision in there that outlines who is going to be responsible for issues involved with the recall. You know, if it's a recall due to a labeling issue, then it's going to be the, the private label owner and not the manufacturer. But if it's a recall due to a manufacturing issue, that the uh, manufacturer is going to be responsible for some of those costs associated with the recall. And people don't often realize what type of costs you're talking about with a recall. It's not just replacing the product. It's uh, restocking and reshelving fees for places like Costco or um, Sam's Club. It's um, paying your uh, attorneys for helping out uh, with the FDA and the recall. It's the time and and manpower associated with that. All those uh, can add up quickly, and so you know, having some provision in there that indicates who's going to be responsible for that truthfully can cut down on a lot of extra expense later when people are are arguing about who is responsible if there's a provision in the agreement. Um, indemnification provisions may be the most important part of the whole agreement. Who's going to be, you know, in this era of class action lawsuits over labeling claims or contaminations, again, the indem indemnification provisions are, are pretty vital to ensuring that people are going to be in a good place if something happens. So, you know, if, if there's a lawsuit for uh, all natural um, and in the, and the, you know, companies often sued the retailer, uh, the plaintiff lawyer sued the retailer, the manufacturer, and the private label owner because they want to get everyone in there so that they can find whoever has the most money for the product. Um, if there's a provision in there that says, hey, whoever's responsible for the labeling is going to be responsible for any actions that result from that and will indemnify the other parties, then they're more likely to go forward. Uh, uh, on you know the other hand, if there's a issue related to manufacturing, uh, typically a contract manufacturer would then indemnify parties for that. So, making sure those indemnifications are in there is one of the most critical areas. Again, it cuts down on a lot of litigation later on uh, if things go awry. 
and, and then we've got, you know, provisions about, um, you know, can you assign the contract to someone else? I mean, a lot of times these relationships are built on personal relationships between people of both sides. If uh, one of the companies sells to someone else or gets bought by someone else, do you want that agreement to continue, or are they going to have to renegotiate that agreement? And having a assignability or non-assignability clause in there, you know, again, can be an important uh, item for parties. Um, so, you know, there, there's kind of a, a laundry list of items that I, I know we'll talk about um, in our uh, talk, but uh, this is the time to try to identify, you know, as much of those areas as possible and get agreement on the front end instead of trying to argue later. And I get a lot of people who say, look, you know, we don't want it to be a long agreement. We don't want to scare people away. And, and I get that. It doesn't have to be a 20-page agreement. Uh, you know, we have a lot of contract agreements that are three, four pages, and you can get most of the uh, required information in there. Um but it really is the time to do it is now instead of later when um, you're kind of trying to scramble. Right. And hopefully understanding why all these components are important um, is, is helpful in understanding why these, agree these agreements need to be so comprehensive. Um, so that's one of the reasons that we think this topic is so important to discuss. Uh, so considering your experience as counsel for the natural products industry, can you offer insight on what you see as um, most common mistakes that brand owners make when they enter these agreements with contract manufacturers? I would say, um, well, the first and biggest one is not doing one at all, um, which seems right. <laughs> to happen more often uh, than, than I would like to think. I mean, that is by far the most common. I tell people, well, you know, can, can you send me a copy of the contract manufacturing agreement so we could take a look? Oh, well, we don't have one of those. Um, we just have purchase orders. Uh, so that that's the most common one. Um, second is not uh, – I, I get it from a lot of clients that the contract manufacturer just sends them kind of a boilerplate agreement and says, we don't negotiate on this at all, so you either have to sign it or not. And um, typically when I see those types of agreements, they're very one-sided. They have a one-way indemnity agreement. They have a one-way confidentiality agreement, um, which there's just no reason to have those. If you're going to indemnify, there should be at least some mutual indemnification. There should be some mutual confidentiality. And when I see agreements like that that are one-sided and companies say, well, we we just don't negotiate on it, a lot of times my comment to clients is that maybe you should look for a different partner because companies who aren't willing to negotiate at all, um, in my opinion, aren't great business partners. Uh, there should be some collaboration, some movement, uh, you know, some some uh, acquiescence on behalf of both sides to make it a proper agreement. So, you know, I know that it's tough. There's a lot of smaller companies who just say, well, we got to do it or they're not going to run it. And, and maybe that is the case, and ultimately that's a decision the companies have to make. But typically I, I, th I think it's only fair um, and right to, to bring up some of those issues and to at least make an effort to negotiate, and if they're not going to negotiate, to, to maybe look elsewhere um, to work with. And then three, I would just say it's the overall notion that, well, 
you know, we're friends. These are people I grew up with or, uh, you know, we, we've known these guys for a long time and I'm sure they'll do right by us, um, as it, you know, when it, if anything comes up. And I would just say that that is a great thought in principle. And of course, I'm, I'm the lawyer who's, I guess has to be the cynic and look at it and say relationships change, uh, people move on from companies, people retire, and the person that you may have talked with and negotiated about that before may not be the same person that you've got to talk to in two years when something goes awry. And so having it in writing and kind of spelling out all the obligations of people is really the only way to to really ensure that you're uh, interests are going to be protected and that you're going to be able to um, address the, those issues properly when they come up. Right. Absolutely. So, Justin, I just have one more question for you. I, I just find it so interesting um, that you've mentioned a couple times now that uh, it's fairly common for brand owners to enter these relationships without any agreements. And uh, I guess I'm just curious about why why that is. Do you do you see um, like what do you see happening where these companies don't do they not realize that they need an agreement? Um, is it a cost issue? What do you think is the 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 rationale there? I think it's more often than not it's smaller companies kind of entering the industry for the first time. Um, they're reluctant to make waves. Um, you know, they've got a contract manufacturer who's working with them, who's told them, look, they'll give them a good price on things. Um, and, and that, yes, they look at it and say, oh, that'll be expensive to have our attorney look at it, to help us review it. Um, you know, look, we, we've got a good relationship. We send them some emails or, or just, uh, I'm sure nothing's going to go wrong. But they've been in business for a long time. You know, they're not going to do anything. Um, and, and that's great until, you know, the first batch gets contaminated with salmonella and all the product has to be scrapped and you don't have any more money to do a new run and you're looking to the manufacturer and they say, well, it's not our fault. It was the ingredient supplier who did that. And, you know, you can talk to them and that ingredient supplier went out of business and all of a sudden now there's there's no one uh, to address. So I, I think it's a little bit of naivete to the industry in general um you know i think there's two different there's it's kind of there's a gap in between i think there's the, the naivete of of new kind of um people coming into the industry and then there's the people who've been around for 30 years and have always done it that way and they're not going to change and you know uh their word is their bond and um you know, I think the people in the middle now kind of realize, and I will also say that anyone who's been on the end of a class action lawsuit or a recall situation um, and didn't have a contract manufacturing agreement before um, has one moving forward because they realize what type of struggles and hassles there are. And, and the reality is the cost of having an attorney review that or do it you know, in the grand scheme of things, it is a drop in the bucket to what you're potentially putting at risk by not having that in writing and having it accounted for um, if something come, happens. Right. So definitely, I would say when you're approaching these agreements, you really need to take a big picture look, um, not just today, but 
down the road and consider all those consequences that uh, we've talked about today on the podcast. Uh, So thank you so much, Justin, for joining us today. I'm happy to do it, and I look forward to uh, talking with everyone uh, uh, out in Las Vegas. Yep, absolutely. So um, we encourage you to visit SupplySideShow.com for more information about this workshop and the other educational opportunities and the expo itself. Um, you can learn more about contract manufacturing uh, by visiting NaturalProductsInsider.com and feel free to connect with us on Twitter. Tweet using hashtag InsiderPodcast. Um, our handle on Twitter is at NatProdInsider. Thank you for listening to today's podcast brought to you by SupplySide West. For additional podcasts featuring industry leaders and experts, visit naturalproductsinsider.com.